0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to our Convention of States podcast, that Provident Article. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the U.S. Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase convention for proposing amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States Project. My name is Paul Hodson, a volunteer with the Convention of States Project in Texas, first as a district captain and now as co-director in the great state of Texas. Our goal is to continually educate ourselves on Article 5, to bring timely information relating to the Convention of States Article 5 movement, and to promote the use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. For more information regarding the Convention of States project, please visit www.conventionofstates.com. We welcome your participation in our podcast, including calling in at phone number 914-205-5632. You can also contact us by email. My email is director.tx.paul. At tx-cos.com, my Twitter handle is at director tx paul. You can find this episode and all our previous episodes at www.blogtalkradio.com/texasdc for HD 58, or on iTunes. Search for that provident article. All of the music you hear is brought to you courtesy of America's most patriotic rock band. ...endorsers of the Convention of States project, Madison Rising. Please visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. We begin each episode by reciting the pertinent information from Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. The Congress, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states... ...shall call a convention for proposing amendments which shall be valid to all intents and purposes... As part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. And then we read our our own specific application that we have. The legislature of the state of fill-in-the-blank hereby applies to Congress under the provisions of Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States, For the calling of a convention of the states limited to proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States that impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. And welcome to the December 5th edition of That Provident Article. We're going to discuss some news today. We're going to be starting to change up how we approach the news section here. I want to just point you to the Convention of States news blog site. I posted the link there on the on the slide that you can see, www.conventionofstates.com backslash news blog. If there's ever anything that we really want to point out, we will also bring that up during this segment. But there's going to be so much activity going on in the next few months as state legislatures in 38 states fire up and already begin to file their applications. And under that news, we had our first one already this week, a pre-filing in Virginia. That was on Wednesday. They filed their application to – this is their third attempt in Virginia to attempt to get our resolution through and be in prayer for them. Call in support if you live in Virginia. Now is the time to really get engaged and be contacting your state senators. And I believe they are delegates in Virginia. Your lower house are called delegates. The other thing I want to point out, which is not on the news site but which occurred this week, the American Legislative Executive Council met in Phoenix. They meet twice a year, and they met back in July. And, again, they were just out in Phoenix uh, the last several days. And there was a Convention of States breakout session held, and over 100 state legislators were in attendance there. Uh, the outcome of that was there were at least two new sponsors were picked up from state legislators. There were a lot of a number of private meetings with Mark Meckler, Mike Ferris, Rob Nadelson was there, and with Senator and our senior advisor, Tom Coburn. So some great opportunities there for the state legislators to meet one-on-one, ask some more pointed questions ask questions in a private manner so that they they aren't necessarily seen on a recording and we'll get to that in a moment that the the meeting was recorded and there was also an announcement made towards the end of that session that breakout session this coming year and there are no other details at this point but there will be a the convention of states will hold a national mock convention they have held several of these in various states with some of the supporters and the volunteers but the plan on this one is to have actual state legislators involved in this mock convention so that we can see it we can have it recorded we can reference it as this is what it looks like when you have a convention there is still so much fear which is what our presentation is going to be on again today so much fear about a an amending convention a convention for proposing amendments We want there to just be something tangible that our state legislators and for some of our opposition to be able to to reference if they truly wish to understand what's going to happen with the Convention of States. Finally, in regards to the ALEC conference, there was a live stream of that on Thursday, and they made a recording, so I have the link, the YouTube link. You can actually watch that, that meeting as it occurred. It was a session in which... Uh, The four members up there, uh, Mark Meckler, Mike Ferris, Rob Nadelson, and and Senator Tom Coburn, all gave uh, some insight as to uh, the approaches to defending the Convention of States project. They then took questions from the the state legislators, and there are some really, really insightful answers and approaches that you can hear. I highly recommend you go and watch the recording of that meeting. Okay, we're going to pick up where we left off in our presentation the last two weeks. We've been covering Who Says It's a Constitutional Convention. Today is going to be part three. I was hoping we might be finished today, but that is not going to happen. There is just too much material to cover. But we're going to get into some good stuff today. And unfortunately, you're going to see a pattern here, which you are probably well aware of, with almost any other issue in which you deal, in which there are uh, two sides and, and a great dichotomy between the more conservative-leaning side, the constitutional side, and those who are on the progressive or left side. So, quick review. We saw the first week that there were multiple instances in the last 45 years or so of that phrase, constitutional convention, when it's being referenced in reference to Article 5. And we discussed a little bit about the importance of language in, in definition and how it frames an argument or a defense. And as Voltaire said, if you wish to converse with me, define your terms. Last week, we spent a lot of time going through just some, some history of various Article V applications. We found no evidence of that phrase, Constitutional Convention, being used in any actual Article V applications before the year 1903. And there were a significant number of applic- applications for various reasons, including the 1861 applications attempting to avert a civil war, to, to bring amendments to bear, which might be able to uh, avert a civil war that of course did not come to fruition but there was an attempt using article 5 to do that we then saw a handful of applications using that phrase between the years 1903 and 1910 interestingly uh, all they seemed to all be in in the applications to which ended up being the 17th amendment of the United States to have popular election of senators, but that phrase began to be used in just a handful of places, and then it disappeared again. And we have no evidence of that phrase being constitutional convention being used in any Article Five applications from 1910 all the way to 1975, when some balanced budget applications began to use the term. So if you're following on your slides. Slide two, we're going to begin to cover today, why is there a change in phrasing? Who wants to change the definitions of the That are in the Constitution and why do they want to do it? So, real quickly, the who. There's three groups here members of Congress, activist Supreme Court justices, and left of center academic and popular writers. Popular writers. Uh, Slide three. Sometimes academics obviously aren't popular writers, uh, and sometimes they do uh, become popular. Slide three. Why are they doing this? For Congress, They feared amendments that might limit their power. This is going to sound real familiar to folks today, and now we're talking 60, 70 years ago. Uh, The second group, the Supreme Court justices, they were protecting themselves against constitutional reversal. And that third group, the academic and popular writers, they opposed restraints on the federal government. And why did they oppose it? They they like the federal government uh, being... uh, Having more power, and we'll talk about that in a moment. On to slide number four. In the twentieth century, there were efforts to call a convention. Several efforts. Let's let's go over them. Set some context for what then happened right around the fifties and the sixties. In 1939, there was a drive to repeal the Sixteenth Amendment, the income tax. No less than 24 applications were filed between the years 1939 and 1955. In 1943. There was a drive for presidential term limits. Now, understand, at this point, FDR is in his third term, and that had never occurred before, so it's understandable that some states decided we might want to be, consider putting some term limits into the Constitution to prevent this from happening again. And in the early 1960s, there was a group called the Council of State Governments. Now, I'm going to assume this is something akin to the legislative, state legislative groups that meet. They recommended three amendments for the Constitution. One was to streamline Article five itself. Another, to reverse Supreme Court decisions forcing state legislatures to reapportion. So so a specific – they had a specific focus, but the idea of reversing a Supreme Court decision, uh, something which certainly we are addressing as well in our application. And then another one that we are addressing, this third point – They wanted to consider a state tribunal to check Supreme Court decisions. So there was already a focus, even in the 1960s, on reining in an activist Supreme Court. Slide number five, further efforts. In the late 60s, they wanted to address the Supreme Court's apportionment cases. So again, we're looking at at some of those uh, cases which the Supreme Court had already ruled on, and some of the states were getting uh, upset, and they began they began a movement to file applications to address that issue of the Supreme Court's overreach. Then in the late 1970s, there was a push for a balanced budget amendment. We've referenced that before. And even into the 80s and 90s, there have been several efforts, one to try and push a repeal of Roe v. Wade, uh, another one to push and, and to impose term limits on Congress, and also several others for other different reforms. So there's been a push in the in the last half century plus, of attempting to get a convention called. So, what about this coordinated disinformation campaign? What, what is it? Why did it start? Well, in the 1950s through the 1970s, the establishment liberals, they were very pleased with the growth of the federal government and an activist Supreme Court, and they feared the conservative and moderate efforts to use the convention process. So, their efforts not only succeeded with liberals, their disinformation campaign, it ended, up, it ended up pitting conservatives against conservatives, with many conservatives electing to abandon one of the Constitution's most important checks on the federal government. Of course, the Article 5 check for the power of the state legislatures. Sorry, the authority. Constitution doesn't give power, it only gives authority. Uh, slide number seven. Let's start here at the beginning of this. 1951. So those repeated calls to repeal the 16th Amendment... Now we've got a response, and this comes from a Texan, sorry, he was a Democrat, Representative Wright Patman. He stood up and he attacked it as, quote, fascist and, quote, reactionary, these calls to repeal the 16th Amendment. He also stated that, quote, a convention for proposing amendments, unquote, which, of course, from Article 5, could, quote, rewrite the whole Constitution, unquote. Now that's a wholly unsubstantiated claim. He didn't reference anything because there is nothing to reference about that. But that's a phrase he used, rewrite the whole Constitution. We hear that even today. They're going to rewrite the whole Constitution. So it was a scare tactic. It was used to divert debate away from the single topic of focus, in that particular case, the income tax, and to raise fear of a coup d'etat. Okay, That's a, a typical tactic when you want to change the discussion, bring up something broader, something scary, something to divert you away from the main focus of of your argument, and uh, it can be very effective, and it has been. 1963, slide number 8. A Yale Law Journal article, and it's authored by a law professor named Charles Black. I told you we'd be getting to Charles Black, and here we are. He was a defender of liberalism and an activist Supreme Court. He wanted to specifically focus his article on the aforementioned amendment proposals from the Council of State Governments. Remember, they wanted to streamline Article 5. They wanted to address the Supreme Court's uh, 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 reapportionment state uh, rulings. And they also wanted to consider just reining in and being able to check the Supreme Court as a whole. Just the very title of his article will tell you the tenor and the tone of the article. The proposed amendment of Article 5, a threatened disaster, and I I purposely highlighted or, or underlined and italicized that word threatened. Again, the left, or anybody who's in, who engages in argument by emotion, loves to use things like that. It's, it's a threat. It's a danger. Um, it, it will be disastrous, those type of words. That's in the title of his article, and he objected to the whole idea of the states being allowed to overrule Congress or the Supreme Court. So that's his fundamental principal objection, that they shouldn't have that type of check. And yet, as we've seen and heard before, it is the states which form the federal government, they are the actual ultimate authority. Slide number nine, as we continue about uh, this article in Yale Law Journal, 1963, Black's argument comes down to these points. He said that this would enable a tiny minority of the American people to amend the Constitution against the wishes of the majority. Now, real quickly, we understand the framers' wisdom in using the two-thirds threshold for the states or for Congress and then the three-fourths threshold for ratification. The whole point of that is consensus. That word consensus was very important to them. It is not a minority that does this. You have to have consensus to make these amendments and to push them through. In fact, if you want to see who the tiny minority is who is amending the Constitution, that's what's occurring right now in Washington, be it either the legislative branch, the executive branch, or the judicial branch. Those are the tiny minority who are amending the Constitution. Black's second argument, he stated that if allowed to do so, to hold a convention, the state legislatures might radically rewrite the Constitution. Again, he's reiterating what had just been said by Representative Wright from Texas in 1951, and he stated this, that they, quote, could change the presidency to a committee of three, hobble the treaty power, make the federal judiciary elective, repeal the Fourth Amendment, make Catholics ineligible for public office, and move the national capital to Topeka. So again, this idea of let's use a diversionary tactic, let's bring up and make up things out of whole cloth, none of these were obviously even close to being discussed at that point in time, but he's just going to throw everything out there and get people panicked that this is what could happen, a a typical tactic in trying to divert a discussion or an argument. Slide 10, as we continue with Charles Black. He offered a solution. I'm sure you're going to love these. His solution, three points here. His first one, he stated, Congress should refuse to count state legislative resolutions that did not comply with standards that he, Charles Black, Laid down, so forget what the Constitution says. This law professor from Yale is going to go ahead, and yes he wrote he wrote in the Yale Law Journal. he happened to be a professor at law professor at Yale. He said, here are they going to be the standards, and quote Congress should retain control over the convention process unquote, and they should be able to dictate allocation of delegates and determine how they were selected. Now we hear this argument over and over again in today that that Congress is going to have control, they're going to use the Necessary and Proper Clause. Uh, We'll cover that in another uh, podcast at some point. This is where it has root. It has root in what both Representative Wright said, and now we have it in a Yale Law Journal, that Congress is going to retain control. It was written down there by this professor. His third point, his third solution, the president should veto any congressional resolution calling convention if the measure did not meet his black's standards. So, Understand in this article that there are no references to historical or legal precedent, and there's a reason for that, because there isn't any. So he's making things up, but he's put it in a very uh, distinguished law journal, and he's not the only one. Same year, 1963, we move on to slide 11, Georgetown Law Journal. A College of William and Mary law professor named William F. Swindler, a a great name for what he's about to do here in his article, Swindler. He claims that the Council of State Government's proposed amendments were, quote, alarmingly regressive, unquote, and they would destroy the Constitution as we know it. Again, we get into the emotional arguments. We've got destruction here. We've had – they're dangerous. They, they are going to rewrite the entire Constitution. His second point, quote, for it is clear that the effect of one or all of the proposals – would be to extinguish the very essence of federalism which distinguishes the Constitution from the Articles of Confederation, unquote. So again, fear-mongering, saying these are people who, they just want to go back to the Articles of Confederation. That's what they're going to try. They're going to destroy the very essence of federalism. His third point, he argued that Congress could and should control the convention and impose obstacles to the convention serving its constitutional purpose. So he argued for Congress. On to the next slide, slide 12. If these are starting to sound familiar to what you hear today, that's the point of this uh, this collusion that they had together to do this. Continuing on, Georgetown Law Journal, William Swindler, he goes even further than Black in what he stated in this article. Because, quote, only a federal agency, Congress, as provided by the Constitution, is competent to propose, unquote, amendments. The convention procedure should be disregarded as, quote, no longer of any effect, unquote. So understand his argument here. It's Congress who has the expertise in this, not the people, not the states. So he says we should regard that that other procedure, the one with the state legislatures. That should be no longer of any effect because you folks out there you really just aren't smart enough to do this. It's Congress that's smart enough to do this. Understand that that's his point. So does anyone out there believe it is just coincidence that these two articles, written the same year in two of the most prestigious law journals, were not coordinated to reach a wide audience in the legal establishment? Come on, folks. This was a coordinated disinformation campaign. It was quite effective. Next week we're going to go into... The the uh, some further effects of that who actually ended up being co-opted at first, and then who ended up following in those coattails of that co-option. I want to thank again, especially Professor Rob Nadelson, whose article I referenced. His article is heavily footnoted, which makes it always wonderful to go and look at the original sources he is referencing. Just a note about Professor Nadelson, about Mark Levin, both of them – both of them were in opposition to Article Five, state convention or state legislatures calling a convention. They were convinced. They bought into these, these arguments, and both of them, digging into the history and into the uh, ac- original source documents, have come to the completely different conclusion – and, so, and realizing that this was a disinformation campaign and that we need to be willing to go to the original sources. We always talk about, we believe the Constitution as in its original intent, or an even better phrase, as Mike Fair says, the Constitution as the words that were used as they were originally the original meaning of those words. Uh, that's where we want to head, and if we if we look at what the original meanings were and the original use of Article 5, it's very apparent that it is to be used for precisely the situation we face today. All right, head ahead and go to the phone lines, the guest call-in line, as we've said before, 914-205-5632. Some ground rules to speak respectfully with each other. We want to keep to the subject pretty much all things Article 5 and Convention of the States and to encourage dialogue, pause and listen to each other. So again, 914-205-5632, and we'll go to phones. All right, I don't see any phone lines open right now. Let me check again real quick. This is the first time I'm actually doing my show directly from my phone. I'm, I'm doing that for a reason to try out to see if that will actually work. Hold on, folks, for a minute. I'm going to be on speaker here while I look up and see if anybody might be calling in. There are no call-in numbers at the moment, so um, for next week – let me turn myself back off speaker. For next week, we will be following up, hopefully finishing up, I think, our series here on who says it's a constitutional convention. And then after that, with with the Christmas break coming, we're going to see what we have planned, and then for New Year's, uh, I'm trying to line up quite a few interviews uh, that's something I really want to try and do here on the series, especially in January. It's starting to get busy here in Texas as far as campaign season, so we are going to be very busy here in Texas Convention of States. Even though we don't have legislation, legislative session, we're actually going to be all over the place working with the legislators who are around, and we'll see how all that goes, um, but for now… I'm going to go ahead and see if I can get Madison Rising to play us out. Uh, until next week, we'll see you. Thanks for listening. get this done. my phone. go to mute. Hold on for a minute. I haven't done this by phone before. And that will do it for another episode of That Provident Article. We want to, again, give a thank you to Madison Rising. Go visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. I especially want to, to again, send you to www.conventionofstates.com. If you haven't volunteered, if you haven't signed a petition, become a supporter. Please go out there and do so. Get involved with your state legislatures. Get involved with your state team in whatever state you're in. And, again, a big thank you to the Texas Convention of States team. Thank you to all the listeners here. We appreciate it, and we'll listen to Madison Rising and America the Beautiful.